I'll tell you why I want to record it because I'm making a series called Talk to Your Users. I want to have, mm -hmm. did I tell, I think I told you about it. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. So thanks for being here and for doing this. My aim is to talk to you about Price Unlock, this thing I'm building. I'm not going to have that grand review at the end because you've done this a bazillion times with your users, whether it was Feedback Panda or something else. So I'd like to go back to your days of, of Feedback Panda. Uh, how did you settle on the prices of, I'm not sure whether the, the prices right now are still the ones you had then, the 15 and 150. So initially we started with a five and a 10. That was our initial pricing segment um, for the first year. We uh, quickly removed the $5 a month plan. We always had a yearly plan, I think five and 50 and uh, 10 and 100. Um, we quickly removed the, yeah, the, the five, five a month plan because it was just way too little money for too much support work at that point. And then a, a year after we increased it to 15 and 150 and that's the final price and that's still there. Just checking here right now. Yeah. So we came up with the price initially because we knew that the customers that we were serving were essentially doing this as their second or third job. So we knew we couldn't really go into like any high price situation. They were pretty much poor or broke or whatever it would be, at least they were not making a lot of money. So um, as, as online teachers, it was really a, may, a way for them to make ends meet. So we knew that there was not much elasticity when it came to these prices. We also um, looked into the space, the existing products in the space, and they didn't really pay for subscription things other than Netflix, right? They didn't, really, the, the teachers that we sold the product to were just normal people right. who had just begun to understand that they were actually business owners themselves because they were like Uber drivers. They were teaching for these companies as quasi employees, but they were paid as freelancers. So consider this Uber is the same situation, right? There are products out there that are aimed at Uber drivers, legal stuff like tax filing and, and all these things that only the Uber drivers that have actually understood that they are themselves business owners, really small business owners doing their own, their own, their own thing that they pay for. We knew they wouldn't have much money to pay for stuff. So we settled at a lower price and people really appreciated that. When, once we updated our prices to be 15 bucks a month, we um, didn't get much pushback, honestly, because it was still fine, even though it was a 50% price increase. But I guess with these numbers, right, from 10 to 15, it sounds like a lot, but it's really just five bucks a month. And our product definitely saved them much more time compared to like um, how much more money they could have made in an hour. And I think they, if they would have saved half an hour or something a month, they would already have paid for the product and we saved them two hours a day. Hmm. That was kind of where we were, but we didn't want to really overdo it. We didn't want to push, push the price increase too much because we felt, uh, we want to serve those people and serving them is making sure that they don't have to pay for stuff that could potentially risk um, their, their financial situation. That that's, that's, yeah, that's how pragmatic we, we approach this or maybe how idealistic we approach this. I don't really know somewhere in between, but yeah, that's, that's how we came up with the price. That's so interesting because you had a B2B business, but it, it, the, the buyers were considering a B2C up to a yes. point until they got That's educated. Right. So yeah. you had this task of educating them. Yeah, that makes sense. And part of the task is what you said, pointing it out to them, like, look, if they saved you two hours a day, how much are you paid per hour? Feedback yeah. kind of pays for itself. Yeah. Talk, talk to me, if you will, a bit about what went through your head, through your and Daniel's head, I should say, when you made 
the switch from five to uh, the, the price increase? Oh, from 10 to 15? Yeah, was, sorry, we, from 10 we, to 15. Yeah, well, we thought, hey, we could probably get some more money out of this. I think that's that's how I remember it, right? When we increased from 10 to 15. So it's like, yeah, there's, there's more room. We, we, we saw that people were had, had no problem with, but can you just talk? No, we did. We, we did that and, and then we implemented, sorry, I'm just having a conversation here, but then we implemented the referral system. And we, we went from 10 to 15 and implemented the referral system at the same time. Yeah, we did. History, we, we, did, we have, don't really have good records of this. We just have to coordinate this here. Okay, yeah, we, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do we have any other ideas? Yeah, right, that, that, was, a, that was a big thing. That's exactly what. Okay, we will get to this. Um, we we thought we could make some more money on this, and there is more room um, to to increase the price because our initial price that we had, the ten bucks a month and the five bucks a month, those were pretty much guesses. Like we thought, okay, this is probably what they're willing to pay because no matter how little money they have, they probably have a Netflix subscription. They probably know what ten bucks a month is kind of worth in terms of using it for a couple hours a day. And since our product was in the same league in terms of like it's used daily, it has impact on your daily life. We thought we, we charge 10 bucks. We canceled the five bucks, again, the five bucks a month plan pretty quickly because it was too little money. So at some point we thought, okay, with 10 bucks a month and everybody paid it without a problem. We didn't really have any Pushback. chargebacks or something like that. We had didn't really have much churn either. We, we sometimes ran into issues with the credit cards bouncing because we were a German company charging American credit cards. So there was this whole international thing, but again, doesn't really impact the price, just impact the system that we use to deal with it. Dunning, essentially. Um, yeah, we thought we could make some more money and we, we thought, what is the next best number that we could go to that is not too much, but it is significant for us. I think at that point we had let's say maybe 3000 customers or something. I don't really know, but it was right one year after we started. Mm -hmm. So we, and the business ran for two years before we sold. So it was like right in the middle. So I assume with pretty much constant growth must've been around 3000 customers and 3000 customers that were at 10 bucks a month is uh, 30 K MRR and 3000 customers that would be at 15 bucks a month would be 45 K MRR. That makes a big difference. That was the reasoning why we just went with 15. We thought, okay, let's just go for something bigger. At the same time, we also implemented a referral system right. that would allow the, the two parties, the person referring, if they referred three people, they would get a month for free. Mm -hmm. And the, the person referred would actually get the cheaper 10 bucks plan still. Mm. So if you came, came into Feedback Vendor through a ref referral, you would get the cheaper plan. That was kind of a way of incentivizing people to referring yeah, the, the product and to do it quickly because when when we um we did another thing we sunset i think yeah we grandfathered the the the, the product for the people that already had the 10 bucks a month plan and we would allow them to keep that forever oh. so we essentially had this continuous discount for for the product as if that, we would have come from a referral Exactly. For the people that already had it, they got it for 10 bucks a month and they would keep it for the next couple of years. But for every new person that didn't come through a referral, they would get it for 15 a month or for 150 a year. Yeah. And we, we guaranteed that referral forever, 
which in our case meant for as long as we had control over the company. I think the the, the purchaser our acquirers have since changed that referral that that grandfathering to a year or two, and I think it's it must must be over at this point. Yeah. Uh, sorry for interrupting you there. I just wanted to clarify that for people who might be listening and might not know the, these terms. So you've explained that. And also for the listeners, the, the little timeout Ervid had was for a quick quick clarification with Daniel, the CEO of Feedback Panda and the, the co-founder. Because uh, some people might be listening to this and not, not, not see. Mm-hmm. Um, have you encountered any problems with pricing in, in this, what was it, two-year run, three-year Two years. I don't think so. No, I don't think we ever encountered issues because, um, you know, we had a very straightforward product. Yeah. We had a product that solved one problem really well and had a very clear pricing scheme as, as well. At that point, you essentially had the choice between a monthly and a yearly subscription. The yearly would be discounted to yeah, 10 months worth of a monthly um, price. And the price was well accepted within the community. We, we had a lot of people in the Facebook groups that we were active in talk about um, how this is reasonable, that this is just as much as Netflix kind of always was mm-hmm. the, the thing that I remember most where people would kind of like weigh, weigh it against like value versus price. We didn't ever run into issues there. I, I think we could probably have charged more, particularly to the people who use it a lot. Because we, we had people in there that use it really 10, 20 times a day for mm-hmm. to generate student feedback for, for their students because they had 10, 20 lessons every single day. There were people out there who just had a couple lessons a week. They would still pay the same price. So talking about the value metric of a business, right? Yeah. Obviously, code or, or data generated, if that is making you more money, then we might have wanted to charge alongside that. But we also really wanted to keep it simple because we didn't want to introduce anything complicated into the life of a teacher that's already complicated and stressful. So that's that's where our reasoning came from. But no, I don't think we ever ran into actual issues there or had any problems there. Yeah. You were saying about how you didn't want to complicate stuff, especially when the value prop was, the, the main headline was save X hours a day. Yeah, exactly. So talk to me more about why you didn't go into that segmentation of, I, I guess it has to do with the fact that you eventually sold, but I think you mentioned that you weren't necessarily planning an exit when you made yep. the product. Uh, what stopped you from going to that segmentation to charge more to those people who are power users? Yeah, but, yeah what stopped us was really that we uh, felt it, it was making us enough money. Really. Mm-hmm. We were a team of two. We had a $50,000 monthly recurring revenue on a, on a margin that was way, way, way higher than I had ever seen in any business, 90 some percent, right? Because it was, it was significant. And we, we didn't want to squeeze any money out of people that were already underserved, underpaid, and doing this as their third job. Like You, you don't want to push that. And particularly the fact that we were so community-minded yeah. which always trying to, to be on the good side of the community because it was a great community. And yeah. we didn't want to do anything shady or anything selfish in this community. We just wanted to help these teachers who, like Danielle, were spending hours every single day teaching kids in China and, and sometimes waking up at three in the morning to be able to squeeze a couple more hours in before they have to wake up their own kids and get them to school and then go to their school and teach as an actual teacher. It was just, you don't want to squeeze money from those people because 
we were part of the community. We were not yeah. just outsiders trying to make money. We were part of the community trying to help and empower the community. And that kept us from ever really doing anything shady. Even our referral system, you could probably consider this very generous. The fact that if you refer a couple of people, you get a month for free. If you are referred, you essentially get a discounted plan forever. I don't see many of these referral systems around that are this helpful and supportive like for a long time. So we could probably have made a lot more money there, but we didn't need to. We were happy with where we were. Yeah. And I can see how the MPS, the, the embedding yourself into the community, to quote a famous book, was, uh, was one of the modes really you had, because yeah. that also makes it harder for somebody to replicate yeah, uh, feedback panda, even, even to this day, I would say. Um, <laughs> what about going in the other direction, which is localizing prices and maybe, uh, have you ever thought of it in the sense that maybe offer it for cheaper in lower income countries, such as, gone. Yeah, um, it was never really a problem for us because almost all of our customers were either US citizens or Canadians, a couple of British people, a couple of South Africans, like our target customer were native English speakers. And that immediately excluded almost all other countries. And even for the people who were in countries like Cambodia or Thailand or India, who were essentially native English speakers traveling for work or digital nomads, they had the means to access an American credit card or anything like it to pay for our service through that. So we never really sold in countries or never sold the product to people living in countries where we would need to think about local currency or value of currency or parity pricing, which is an important thing for a global business. But in many ways, our business, even though it was global, we had a lot of customers in many different countries. They themselves were either Americans or Canadians most of the time, like 98% or something. A couple of Europeans we had there too, but could neglect this. So it's by far not as important. But yeah, in any other business, I would definitely look into this. Right. Much more. To this moment, up, up until this moment, this interview is going in a negative direction. But just, that's just for me, it is helpful. I just okay. had, if, if when I want to post this and people listen to the conversation with Sammy from Hype Fury, mm-hmm. I will have said the same thing. It is helpful because if I keep hearing what you said and I keep getting these negative indicators, you you have saved me two years of my life or toiling away on something that doesn't work. But mm-hmm. um, let, let's just put the cards on the table because uh, as I said, the grand review is like you're seeing through these questions I'm, I'm, I'm asking. In 30 seconds or less, price unlock is meant to work this way. You connect to Stripe and Analytics. You get an HTML embed for every product you have. So you have two plans here, monthly 15, 150 yearly, if you would still be with Feedback Panda. And then use our dashboard to do A-B testing for prices or pricing optimization, you might call it, or testing a new strategy and localized pricing. So you would choose whether you show the local currency or your currency, but a different price. So you might say $9 in this country as opposed to 15 or synthetic pricing, um, show them in the local currency, but charging yours because you don't have anywhere to spend Brazilian yeah. dollars or yeah. euros, although you have yours. How, how does this, can, can I get your feedback on, on this product, which I might or might not do, and I'm getting so far negative indicators in these two conversations today? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it definitely would not have been a requirement for Feedback Panda because we were just like our, our audience that we were serving, our customer pool, was 
local in, in, a, in a national sense, right? We were in one country most of the time or had the capability to purchase from that country. Yeah. It was also non, um, we, we only had one product that we didn't really want to change the price off at all. So we did, we're, we're not really interested or educated, I guess, about the, the flexibility of pricing, experiments with pricing. In our case, I think we were so community driven that any kind of situation where somebody would have seen a higher price than somebody else would have been communicated in the community. And that likely would have gotten back to us in a negative way at some point. Why do I see this? Why is this other person getting it cheaper? I have a very strong sense that this was not, it would not have been well received within the online teacher community because they were highly price sensitive, right? Yeah. Every, everybody is price sensitive on a certain level and it'd be to be, you know, you have budgets and that stuff, but for people whose livelihood depends on having a couple more dozens or hundreds of dollars a month or not having them, being able to make pay mortgage and, you know, make, make these kind of credit card payments or whatever, we probably would have had trouble arguing for this particular kind of price interaction. Now, this is because the audience that we were serving was highly tribal and well-connected. If you were to serve a different market, more a B2C market, I guess, where people do not talk about this, where they just consume or don't, I would see this as a much more sensible approach to pricing because you want experimentation, you want A-B testing. And I personally, honestly, I would love to have this for my book because imagine both Zero to Sold or the Embedded Entrepreneur, if I wouldn't sell them through Gumroad or Amazon, but I would sell them through Shopify and connect them to a print-on-demand service like Spark, And that's kind of what some people do. Um, Rob Fitzpatrick has been doing this for his latest book, Write Useful Books. So essentially as a Shopify front, and whenever somebody orders, a print order goes out to Spark. They print it and then deliver it through wherever the network to the person's home, which is kind of cool. Now, if I could integrate this particular feature into my Shopify page and my readers from India would see a price that is maybe 30, 40% of the price that I charge my German or my US readers, or my readers from India see a price that is 40 and 30%, you know, like have an A-B test in there and I could see what's the, what's the threshold. When do people actually order? So much more interesting, but that's because it's, first off, it's just one-time purchase. It's not a recurring thing. Because the moment it's recurring, all of a sudden the, the price difference immediately, immediately multiplies like yeah, over yeah. essentially for, for as long as people use it. And because those people don't necessarily talk about the price. And if I look at Amazon, sometimes Amazon sells my print book for like $22.37 for no reason. Sometimes they sell it for 25. So they have their own little internal A-B testing for whatever they're doing. I don't really know what that is. Um, you know, that, that's, that's Amazon doing their magic. But if I could control this on a Shopify front or within a system that is already kind of an established logistics chain for my products, that would be interesting. Now, next Permanent link, my other SaaS that I'm currently running. I'm more interested in the parity pricing. That is very interesting to me because um, I, this is a SaaS that is supposed to help people on a global level. It's link um, forwarding for authors, for books. I don't need to do much price um, A-B testing because currently I have very, very few customers and very few prospects. 
but maybe I have very few customers and very few prospects because of the pricing, because who knows? And it would be much more interesting there, but then it would immediately need to be integratable into Paddle, you know, because I'm using that and not using Stripe. There's, there's right. your next problem, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that, then, then all of a sudden my payment provider prevents me from using this and they are merchant of records. So, you know, like the whole Paddle thing is completely different from what Stripe is doing interesting as well but for permanent like I, I would definitely be interested in the parity pricing because that's something that i really really appreciate just considering that people in other countries just cannot afford what i'm offering and i want them to be able to look at what i'm writing yeah, so, yeah. many things there on amazon is actually one of the things that uh yeah sometimes they do a b testing sometimes the price increased by a few cents because of their logistics yeah. but more so they do that especially on their on their items or stuff that is delivered by because yes my prime page will not be the same as your prime page and yeah. even my, my neighbors and uh, one of the romanticized ways of me thinking about price lock was uh amazon and apple do this they have this complex pricing machine what if we could put that in the hands of but that's just romance that doesn't bring any any kind of value uh pure value i understand what you're saying and it's very interesting i do get the 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 reason why you wouldn't use this for feedback panda and um i had so many things to say but i just yeah paddle um obviously my aim would be to first see if this could be useful for anybody with stripe and once we validate mm -hmm. that go into something wider um let me see what else i should ask you because this just like the very happy you mentioned Rob's Rob Fitzpatrick because I'm trying to incorporate the mum test in all this mm -hmm. stuff, mm. but this is why the mum test doesn't really work. That it's a different kind of mum test with founders because yeah. once again for the third time in this call, people can see through it. So I can't pretend. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm asking you just just without you realizing this. Um, yeah, it's also working from my side. I'm also trying to prevent myself from being too supportive at this point because i know that i like your idea obviously who doesn't because you also have thought a lot about it it's a it's a good idea but we both need to be aware that it might just not fit for me and that's yes. what i'm trying to and, trying to get, get and get I, I saw that as well and i'm highly appreciative you said you like the idea and here's the thing i also talked to sammy and to other people I, my natural instinct was to target this at bootstrappers or mm -hmm. founders who have at least 5k MRR, maybe yeah. even a little bit less, but not too big. However, I'm getting a bit of pushback and it's either one, I'm not building something people want, or two, I'm just not talking to the right people. And mm -hmm. the solution to that is talking to more people. Yes. Sami was saying, look, this is not for me. And they're doing about, uh, I think, 20k MRR almost. But, but and he was very helpful, but he said, look, this is either for somebody as big as Buffer, who doesn't yeah. care about that uh, different users getting different prices because they're too big, or to somebody who's just starting out. What, what would be your gut feeling so far if you were to get into your shoes of the father of founders again and, uh, and tell me about this, this one or two, your gut feeling? Is it mm. one... I'm building, I'm looking at something people wouldn't need or want, or is it just, I need to retarget the audience? Um, well, if you're targeting to the, targeting the wrong audience, then you're building something that your current audience doesn't need or want, if that's the feedback you're getting. So uh, it could be both or either, 
right? It's, it's, it's kind of hard to say. What I'm thinking about when I'm looking at this product, it seems to be something that for many founders, many, many people who start out is really not that important. Like the, not that pricing isn't important, but doing organized experimentation on pricing and giving people discounts seem to be things that don't don't happen in the early stage. It's not a not a not a survival thing. Yeah. Survival is trying to find product market fit and finding enough people to pay for your stuff before you run out of money, right? Yeah. It's not trying to see if you could improve your price by ten plus minus ten percent and how that would impact your churn six months down the road. Obviously, that's something that happens to later stage businesses, but it's definitely not something for early founders because if you started with that kind of stuff, then yeah, who knows, right? You, you may not even have figured out what you're actually selling at that point and how people yeah, use it over time. So I, I think it's more about, you may actually be talking to the wrong people, not just in the fact that you're looking at early stage bootstrappers. Bootstrappers themselves might be the wrong audience because I have this nagging feeling that what you've, you're building is really, really good at a level of buffer, but maybe even in the B2C space. Because I'm, I'm just thinking about like when people look at price experiments and we're looking at bootstrappers at the same time, most bootstrappers built this personal brand as a person helping their community, building a product for the community. Look at Justin Jackson, right? He's been building Transistor and Transistor is not just a podcast thing. They have this, <laughs> I'm just thinking about his story when they had this, this big B2, um, B2B enterprise sales conversation about the uh, um, what was he talking about? He was saying like, yeah. And then, and then the guy said, well, then our purchasing team <laughs> talks to your purchasing team. You remember that, right? Yeah. So that, that was, was that was that was hilarious. Yeah, exactly. It was hilarious because it's just, okay, they seem to have this reputation as somebody who's really good at what they're doing. And they've been getting this reputation, not because they've been great at doing enterprise deals, but because the whole community cannot stop talking about them. So if they were, and, and I think Justin was talking about this too, were just integrating this kind of, this ad system, I forgot what the name was, but it's like dynamic ad insertion, I think that that may have been it, right? Where you insert a dynamic ads into podcasts. So it's, it's this whole thing. It's you can monetize podcasts with that. And the big um, podcasts do this, but Justin and, and John, they just don't want to have this. They don't want to have dynamic ads inserted into the audio stream because they don't want this and they don't like it. They know the community doesn't like it. So they won't put it in, even though customers have been asking for this because the big podcasts, that's how they make a lot of money. And at that point, do you really think um, and, and this is a rhetorical question, of course, that people who un think of Justin and John and the brand as a very honest, very community-driven community or a, community, a business, sorry, that this price experimentation fits into this? Because I don't think it does. Not because it's wrong, but just because it feels like... Harming more than helping. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's harming. It just feels like it's it's also not dishonest. It's not the right word, but it, it feels like people are trying something without telling you that they're doing it. You know, it's not, it's it's kind of um, stealthy, more more or less. It's the best word I can find. And in many ways, this is perfectly accepted in many industries as that's just how it is, and that's how pricing works. But those industries are much bigger. Those industry, the players in those industries that accept this and that do this are much bigger. So any bootstrap business that is building this from a personal brand will always have trouble 
co like correlating or, or just like accepting that they do both this, this very honest, authentic brand building and then do price experimentation that is kind of not cheating their customers, but like using them just as numbers, you know, using them just as um, potential experimental clients or po data points somewhere. So that's one side. On the other hand, of course, your parity pricing thing is amazing. That is something that, that bootstrappers might actually have as a, as a moat, as a, as a potential, um, what's the word, like something that, that makes them unique. I, I really like that in, in, a, in a way, because I, I haven't seen it in, in other tools. Like I've seen Parity Bar and a couple of tools like this that integrate this through geo IP um, stuff. And then they, they give you a discount code that is specific yeah. for a certain country. If that was integrated into your actual pricing and you could, you could just plug it in through, I don't know, Stripe checkout or Paddle checkout or whatever it is, great, wonderful. That would be really nice. And that would be more bootstrapper compatible. But I think these might actually be two different products. And one of the products is more a B2C enterprise thing. And the other product may be a, a bootstrapper thing, but probably also not as important in the, sorry, the early stages. Later stages, definitely. But early stages, never. Hope that yeah. helps. It is. It's very helpful. What you what well, everything you said. Yes, the other products for parity purchasing power are. Yeah, either would abandon the discount, and this would be this would make it less hassle for the user and for the for the business selling it. Um, I understand the, the the concept about how this it's is going head to head with the embedded people, people who yeah. have who have a community. And it makes me think, yes, maybe I'm talking to, to the wrong people. The problem is, because for instance, I've got somebody from the cloud app who is, uh, who is quite big. I mean, I've been using their product for a few years and I think they're really fun and all that. And they say, oh, this looks very interesting. Can you tell us a bit more, blah, blah, blah. But the problem is if I go up, up market is it's going to take me way more time because they need a way more polished product. And I also have these blinders on which uh, I, I need to mention because you know, when you have blinders, you don't know what you're assuming because of your situation and what you're transposing in other people. I need this for my main business, which is B2C, which is three to 400,000 unique users a month. And mm -hmm. this all started from, we're charging 20 bucks, but should it be 1999, 1990, 19 sharp, maybe actually 20. And then the question is 24, 16, maybe 13 would be better. But then, yes, I have these blinders of, I am B2C, I am not SaaS. Although I, I targeted SaaS because it is most of the time SaaS companies have just a couple of prices, probably one to three plans and monthly and yearly. So that's maximum of six. Mm -hmm. And the simplicity would, would get me uh, wings to get off the ground. If I, if I go up market with this, which is a big if, because they're also richer to, uh, harder to reach, harder to talk to, mm -hmm. it, it's about taking even longer to, to, to launch. So you're saying it could be two products and I understand, or it's at least one product for bootstrappers and one plus two for the bigger companies. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Um, I am getting some positive and some negative indicators and I would love to put this on the table in front of you, if you will, because as I said, if I get many negative indicators, I'm looking forward to wasting, I'm not looking forward to wasting two years of my life, but I do see some positive stuff such as, I talked to Stefan from friendly.is who hacked his way into doing it. And he said, mm -hmm. oh, go on my page, click refresh, and you will see that the price has to load. Why? Because I made 
part of what you're doing, mm-hmm. which, which makes me think of every, every indie hacker can do intercom or help scout or uh, crisp, yeah. but it will take them a hundred hours and that's a hundred hours they should spend on their product. And yeah. crisp has spent 190, 400 hours. So they made those late, late stage optimizations. Yeah. Or I see some other stuff in terms of, yes, what you mentioned, these other different approach, uh, localized pricing options. In this mixed bag, could you, could you uh, take my head and point my eyes in the right direction? Because I might be blind. I might be looking mm-hmm. at the wrong thing. I think I'm asking the same question again. Would you, no, no, no. would you in no, my no, shoes no. talk to some other people go that upscale with the you know the bigger cost looking ahead or just drop it if i keep getting negative stuff this is the 13 i think or yeah 14th conversation i'm having mm-hmm. and i keep getting this mixed bag up and down no pre-orders yet pre-order would be 99 paid once because i plan to charge 99 99 bucks a month mm-hmm. free under a certain mrr so the pre-order would be you only pay 99 once and you one-time payment and you only keep paying monthly once you get clear ROI, whether that takes two right. months or two years, that's the pre-order. Okay. Hmm, yeah, I, I, I guess if, if that is the result of 14 conversations, then you might be talking to the wrong people. But I definitely would suggest that there, there might be another audience out there for you that might be um, much more interested in what you're offering and would potentially commit quickly to having a tool like this. Think, um, I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't think that this is a, a product that nobody will use. I just think that you won't find many users in the indie hacker, early SaaS business stage. Because I that, that kind of stuff would be probably the kind of tooling that I would now look into having run Feedback Panda three, four years, if we would still have it. I would look into, okay, how can we experiment with our pricing? How can we do this in a way that is transparent to our customers, that is in, inclusive, that is clear? You know, like, how can we make this happen so we don't look like we are just, like, messing with people's monthly fees? Um, that would be now that we look into this. And even then, I couldn't tell you if I were to actually wanted to purchase it or if we would just increase our price, pricing in general like we did back when we did it with Feedback Panda. Because yeah. um, you know the community system, if if it would if it could involve the community to suggest like actual like figure out how how much price elasticity is there, that would be an interesting product that would that I would be much more interested in at that point. Like you know how how much are people willing to to pay for this? Like how high could we go without necessarily needing to put it on a pricing page, but to actually involve people in the process, like mm-hmm. in a conversation like this, in 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 a in a more automated way interesting but that would be what i'm looking for now i think you are more well served talking to the bigger b2b and b2c companies maybe out there some some of them with venture funding because it feels like they need to quickly experiment at scale you know and that would be something that your tool is much more useful because consider permanent link i get maybe a couple new signups a week that that is not enough data to to do meaningful experiments on and even transistor i don't know how many customers they have but it's probably not that new many new customers every week maybe a couple dozen yeah i i don't know if if like pricing experiments have any meaningful data for them i i, I don't know it 
probably are tools out there in the SaaS space that could be this, like Veed.io, like the, the big video things, or um, yeah, I don't even know. I think indie hackers just don't have enough customers because the whole point of being an indie hacker is not having so many people that you need to set up a whole thing with yeah. like customer service people and all that. So most of us, and I'm generalizing here, I'm aware of that, probably want to have a, a, an amount of customers that pays them very well, but is also manageable still. And that may be the core why nobody needs this or nobody thinks they, needs, they need this. They yeah, just don't I, expect to have enough what is it like variance in the customer space to even get meaningful data from this experiment? Yeah, a couple of things I have here. I was smiling when you mentioned Veed because I did talk to Saba, who, mm-hmm. well, four million a year ARR, and I think he's already at five now because I spoken to yeah. him a couple of weeks ago and <laughs> two weeks ago or something, right? Yeah, and <laughs> shout out to him and his growth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so incredible. no doubt he's at five million ARR now. Yep. And we did have a chat, and he he was interested. He did hack his way into price looks. He said, we did price look at by hand. Like that's mm-hmm. what we've done. He did, however, say he would not use us because we're not vetted. So, yes, and, and that's obviously, I, I don't have any kind of complaint there because like we're doing four or five million. What if you guys mess it up for us? So totally valid. I also understand what you mentioned now and in the beginning of, obviously you want to build something that there's a burning problem that is in that top three, possibly top two, problems otherwise it's not an expensive problem it's a you know nice to have and then you're in that space that limbo of yeah it's a nice idea okay do you want to pay no or just crickets um okay vc funded i will ultimately i have to have combos with segmented groups like b2b b2c vc funded as well and the four combination permutations of what i mentioned the challenge would then be assuming actually upscale, upmarket people need this. The challenge would be, how do I convince them? Would you think a case study on myself, on my main company, Legitcheck by CH, would you think a case study would be that at least helping a big step, that vetting process that would give them a, at least incentive to give me a chance, to give price lock a chance? Anything that is better than not having anything. You know, like that, if that is your best offer or best option, because you don't have anybody else using the product, use that. Yes. And be, be straightforward about it because there'll always be people in any space of any size that are more progressive when it comes to adoption, but also yeah. strategies and the change management strategies that quickly allow them to revert or remove it again, you know, should it not work. And then there's companies who only take this if they see like the big players in their space already using it. Yeah. So you just have to find the more progressive ones, which I guess uh, isn't easy, but maybe you can actually do some tech analysis of their existing stack, of their existing landing pages and see what kind of tools they use. And the moment they use anything above the regular monitoring stuff, like Hotjar, Google Analytics and stuff, but actually have, I don't know, write message, like content injection, like tools that are more, you know, progressive and indie hacker built you might find it easier to sell to them, honestly, or, or just communicate to them what you have and what they might need and might want to use. Great. That, that helps a lot. I appreciate Ending question. Yeah. Would you still build this if you were in my shoes? Should I, what would you, should I, should I drop this? Or oh, I had a better way of putting it in my head a couple of minutes ago. 
it's you said something like your best option is to show something rather than nothing but i also have mm-hmm. the option of not doing all this because yes i am building it for myself as a local as a as an internal tool but i'm having this conversation because there's a big gap between internal tool and yep. hey guys we're selling this yeah i get and because i'll tell you something else about about uh the problem with one of the advantages of if my assumption of indie hackers was right this works with stripe and you know when you start out you only have stripe probably you might have paddle you might have quadern or tax jar but when you're big and you ask them how's your stack and they say they will say oh geez we have this and that and that and that or we made this custom thing so it's yeah. all this complexity which yeah. makes me think there is a possibility that on the low end bootstrappers, it doesn't work, but also on the high end, it doesn't work. And we have a contradiction and the set of wrong assumptions that look juicy, but are yeah. going to be just a waste of time. What's your gut feeling well, having the experience? My, my, gut, my gut feeling here is that you're already doing the right thing and trying to validate it. And you're falling into, or you're, you're noticing more and more invalidations of your initial assumptions. Like the, the last sentence that you just said, like with the, the two extremes being too early and too complex and what you built wouldn't even fit in the middle because it's it, 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 this this is no clear path there that is an, an an interesting perspective to take and if you uh if you find this more and more then it's very likely that this product might not have the space or may not be able to occupy the space but i would still recommend continuing to to do this validation that you're currently doing because i i, I you can only know that it's not useful to anybody from B2B, B2C, indie hackers, venture funded, if you've talked to all of them. And unless you've talked to all of them, that there's a chance out there that you could be building this for one specific niche. I don't know what it could be. I, I honestly, it's something like, I don't know, like medical services, B2C businesses or something <laughs> like this. You know what like, yeah. There could be one particular niche out there in the venture funded world, like medical marijuana or some, things where they really have this need for some reason and i don't know it's all made up in my mind you just don't know that this is the perfect audience for it just yet so um continue the validation calls until you're completely sure that a you you have nobody to to potentially sell it to or b you just don't want to do these calls anymore you know like it's still also like a personal thing if you find like you're getting too much pushback then look where the pull is Maybe one thing that I, that I want to throw in here, in all of these conversations, what, what you're trying to do is to actually validate your ideas. And that's, that's fine, because that's the whole idea, the point of the conversation like this. But if you sense that there's pushback, I, th- I highly recommend asking for what the actual problems are that these people are facing. Because, you know, that might be an opportunity to get quantitative data. Like if you have 13 com- the conversations with people like me, who don't really need this tool, but probably could come up with three or four actually pressing problems. Mm-hmm. Collecting them might be more valuable on your long-term journey towards finding a meaningful idea or a meaningful problem to solve than trying to validate and validate and validate something that seems to be slightly invalidated every single time you talk about it. Is that what happened when I've asked you, did you encounter any problems with pricing or are you thinking about something else? 
Yes, that's exactly what it is. Because you, you asked me if I encounter problems with pricing and my, immediately thought, my, my immediate thought was no, but I certainly have a lot of problems with marketing and, you know, and with like trying to, to find customers for this product and convincing them, talking about permanent link here, that this product is going to be useful in the long term and they should try it out. Yeah, and Those are my problems. My problem is to, to find authors, to, to find the books even from authors that have broken links in them. Those mm -hmm. are my problems in this space. Pricing, not as much because it's uh, kind of the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Pricing experiments is somewhere way below finding enough people to sustain the business yeah. or above, I guess. So that would be an, op an interesting opportunity to, to figure out what problems people have that this, they are so clear in their mind that they would immediately pay you for them. Like if you could give me a tool that would convince authors that I've never talked to in the world that they should replace their links in their books with using my tool in some way, right? If find yeah. them or convince them or get incentivize them to try it out, whatever it is, I would pay you 50 bucks a month. I would pay you a hundred bucks a month if you would, would bring the, the ROI in there. That's my problem right now with that particular business. Pricing, mm -hmm. no me or everybody else listening this looking for an idea he's gonna be your first customer that's right yeah and and if, if if nobody builds it i'll probably have to build it myself and that's gonna be annoying so i would like that somebody else please build this yeah rv this um, has been this has been very helpful uh, once again it's negative but it's helpful because mm -hmm. i would rather hear this than have it fast forward to 2023 and say ah oh, jesus christ why did i not see this and I mean, I'm young, I'm 23, but one of the things I'm trying, really trying my best, and I know I'm going to fail regardless, is to see, because a lot of stuff has to do with, with the so-called vision. You didn't see something that was under your nose. And it, it, it is painful if I imagine having to shut this down. I mean, it's not shut down because I'm building it for myself anyway, but to not go further into this dream, but um, it's less painful than the, than the alternative. I will do what you said talk to some other segments of people, try my best to jab at these uh, higher market, which are harder to reach people. And if not, I guess I'll just either pivot into another problem, as you mentioned, or I will just make something that like you or Justin say, go where somewhere, go somewhere where the demand already is, as opposed to innovation, maybe because that, that would be a safer bet, maybe, probably less mm -hmm. upside. But uh, I mean, I have the next decades in front of me to to build yep. on that yeah and in, in 10 years you're gonna be two years younger than i am right now i think you'll be fine i'll be looking forward to paying it forward by helping others just like you helped me uh i told sammy i don't i'm not sure whether this was on record but i said oh for the last hour and a half you've been like my older brother like my uncle <laughs> uh yeah um anything else you would like to add or something i, I usually end with this this sort of thing. No, I'm just happy that you're reaching out to people of all different kinds of businesses and experiences because that's really what this is about. There might be somebody out there who could point you into the perfect direction because they know somebody personally who has a business that meets this. And then all yeah. of a sudden you, you go into this space and the niche just explodes around you because you suddenly understand how to position it, how to set it up. So just don't give up on these conversations and just always try to figure out what people's most pressing problem is in the business, even if it's something you don't care about. And you seem to be somebody who cares about pricing, which is awesome. And I am not one of these people. I enjoy setting up a good price, but I don't, I'm not like, I don't like fiddling around with it. I don't like 
the the complexity of of money and taxes and stuff that all of that is really not my thing but i know it's yours and so so don't get discouraged that people don't share this enthusiasm find the people who do you know that's that's really what it is mm-hmm. and that's this might be somebody in, at a certain position in in bigger companies like the cfo or i don't know the, the chief, chief product pricing officer did they have this you know like a, a certain particular position in a company that is not a solo founder trying to juggle 20 different things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Maybe those people would understand you more clearly and could you could give you more and better and clearer advice as well as to who to talk to, how to talk to them about it, what the requirements and necessities are. And I think the more you go into the VC world, the more you go into these bigger companies, doesn't really have to be immediate like 40,000 uh, employee level enterprise, but just smaller, but still um, digital businesses or something you'll find more people that will be able to talk to you with the same enthusiasm that you talk to them. Hmm. Would you agree as an ending question, would you agree with that thing that Derek Siver said that, you know, I kept having these uphill battles, but then when I made something that clicked, it looked like a downhill battle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I just felt like I had the, I'm paraphrasing now, but I had the wings to fly or something. No, I'm not just adding this from myself. Uh, it feels so much better when you have a jetpack, when everybody's climbing a mm-hmm. hill, would you agree with that, that if, unless you find that jetpack, unless you find the, the current to take you, just go to the next thing? Uh, yes. Um, uh, with, uh, with the warning not to go to the next thing too quickly. Which is because, what you just told me. Uh, yeah. Make sure you talk oh. to... Right, because like all of this is experiential. All of all of these conversations will, in some way, particularly as you record them, be a data point that is an addition to your existing knowledge. Right, and the more you do, the more you'll be introduced to new thoughts or ideas or frameworks or concepts or potential audiences, potential markets, potential perspectives. All of this is useful beyond your current scope. Like no matter what product you're going to be building. This conversation will hopefully help you look into what other problems people will have or how to maybe look at it from another funding perspective in a business, you know, doesn't really matter. But all these conversations are useful that you've been having and that you will have for whatever is in your future, either this project or the next project or the one after. But just don't jump from project to project immediately because then none of these learnings will really be applicable. Mm-hmm. You still want to try and apply them. And I don't think it's a waste to consider building at least a prototype and trying to get it into the door somewhere, trying to have somebody use it. Because that process alone is going to be interesting, you know, trying to convince people just to start using it, trying to set it up with them, trying to configure it with them, even though it might not work out when and nothing is guaranteed to work out. That process alone is a learning that makes the next product. Should it fail? It's always a chance so much better and that's that's how i perceive learning learning is a series of experiences and if you don't even get to do the experience before you you know but before you you fully live it then you're, you're cutting cutting yourself short at that point so just keep keep at it for a bit longer just yeah and, and in that case just have a chat with me every now and then and we'll see if you still feel like it because you know we can we can have a back and forth about this and if, if you find that you, you're bored of it or you don't even want to talk about it well then maybe a time to to go to something else i i i was bringing up this quote that i posted from justin 
Jack said, but you were kind enough to retweet it. Thank you for it. Which was exactly what you said. Instead of needing every part to be a success, our focus should be on consistently getting better at the game, mm -hmm. which is what you were saying. I had this, this thought that I, I'm not smart enough to, to verbalize yet. Maybe you could help me and tell me if you agree with it. Uh, it will take me longer to say it, but would you agree that if... If you have the skill, so you or Vid have proven to yourself and to the market that you had the skill because you made Feedback Panda into a success and you made it. But then consider that a parallel universe or Vid who wasn't capable of doing it. Would you say that as long as you are part of the capable, as long as you are capable, and it's a skill, it's not something born, I have to add, mm. no matter what you're doing, even if you start with the shittiest idea, you're gonna go into these conversations and pivot and it, it might take longer. It's a function mm -hmm. of time. And I think luck is a function function of time. Oh, absolutely. If you if you are capable, you are gonna make it sooner or later. So maybe it took Jeff Bezos three years to pivot from Amazon, but then build this universe, which we know him of, which started in 1990, whatever. And then he made it. Would you agree with that? With this uh, yes. cloud of because thought? Yeah, but to me, this is this kind of relates to what I consider to be the opportunity surface. Like you, mm. you, you have this little surface around you where opportunity may strike. And with every action that you take that is making you, you better, making your, your life better, your knowledge bigger, your, your um, experience stronger or better, you increase the opportunity surface a little bit. And opportunity strikes randomly. Or that's the luck kind of part, right? Where you never really know when some you might need, meet somebody at a, at a conference. And if you had been like, I don't know, like at the buffet or something, you wouldn't have met them. Like, there's just so much random stuff going on that you cannot control where opportunity strikes, but you can control what surface, what access to the surface you have where it strikes. Mm -hmm. So the more you learn, the more you understand, the more you experiment, the more you build, the more failures you have the more successes you have all of this increases your opportunity surface for the next thing yeah so absolutely does it matter to just keep going at it because that will by definition increase your opportunity surface because you're learning and of, of the, the just the seeing the relationships between things and then eventually and that can take a while stuff will work out in some way that is beneficial to you yeah but I, I love this. You can't control it. That's that's the point. I love this so much. You mentioned during the AMA, and I had on my mind this area of the surface of, mm -hmm. of like, could you restate it? Give me the bite sized thing I can keep in my yeah, mind. Your, your opportunity surface. That's opportunity surface. That's it. And I had it in my mind. And uh, I, I thought of it through this lens many times ever since our AMA two weeks or so ago. And yeah, if people sometimes ask me, not that I had a huge success, but people who are trying to replicate what I do ask me, uh, how'd you make it so fast or whatever? And I say, it wasn't fast. I started when I was 12, when I had my, yeah. or my first online business at 15. And if I ever make it in the conventional sense, I'll keep saying that because it's, at athletes, it's very obvious. You look at them yeah. and they started at seven, eight, but entrepreneurship is like uh, being an athlete. Yes. Sometimes it feels to me. Um, I appreciate this. I will actually make a tweet and post on my subreddit. What's your most pressing problem? Just, just so I can have a pocket card of what kind of industry I might go into. And um, I hope, I'm, I don't hope, I'm pretty sure we'll refer back to this uh, 
recorded conversation, whether Presano mm-hmm. becomes something or whether I'll say, oh yeah, I had a shit idea and Arvid basically saved my ass because <laughs> he was kind enough to not lie to me, which, I don't know, it just sounds good. Kind enough to not lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, Arvid. Sure, absolutely. Glad to be able to serve today. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say because this is not the type of podcast where I say, hey, Arvid, where can people find you? But uh, yeah, if people want to find Arvid, that's at, at Arvid Kahl, K-A-H-L. That's right. Yeah. I don't have a strong uh, outro for this, but uh, I'll just say I appreciate it and enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, thanks, thanks so much. As always, feel free to reach out if you think I can return the favor. Absolutely. Yeah, it was nice chatting with you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Cheers, man. See you later. Cheers. See ya. Bye-bye.